Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. My name is Alex Ott. I'm your host today. As we're publishing this episode, it's almost Christmas Day of 2021. Well, it's our opportunity at IWM to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you, to your family. As Adventist missionaries, we know that with each year, we get a bit closer to seeing our Lord face to face. It's a hope worth living for, worth making a life of mission out of. And that's what each of us had done. I praise the Lord for that. I praise the Lord for you. Just before introducing the interview of this episode, I need to make an important announcement here. At IWM, we'll be taking a break next year in the production of new episodes in this podcast. All our previous episodes will still be available on the IWM website. You can always search through, filter through, and find the topic that we covered. As a team, though, we want to take time to understand how this medium, how we can serve you best, and how we can make missionary support and learning even better going forward. It might seem a step back, but we hope it will enable us to make multiple steps forward together. Now, for today's interview, I am super happy to introduce to you Dr. Gary Cross, who serves as General Conference Adventist Mission Director, and with him, Pat Gustin a veteran Adventist missiologist. Pat led the Institute of World Mission for many years, and she trained or was part of training many generations of Adventist missionaries. Together, Gary and Pat will be drawing lessons from a life of mission, discussing mission strategy and principles of mission that every missionary should take note of, to say the least. With that said, let's hear from Gary and Pat. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Pat, it's good to talk to you again, and I know that your life has been devoted to mission. Why is mission so important to you? Wow. Um, well, there's probably some very simple and some more complex reasons. Uh, I really think that it's kind of part of my heritage. My family didn't go as missionaries or anything, but but my mother, bless her heart, uh, began buying me mission story books when I was like 10 or 11. I devoured them all, and at that early age, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. And was it the adventure? Was it the uh, the uniqueness of, of mission service as portrayed in these books that attracted me? I have no idea. But now looking back, I do think that God spoke to me through that, through those experiences. And then they just kept being reaffirmed all through. I can remember all through. Uh, as a grade school student going to camp meeting and hearing the missionaries come back and tell their stories and then an academy, the same thing in college. And it just seemed, it just seemed the right thing to do. Uh, whether I fully understood the, the theology behind it or the, the, the tremendous need that there is in the world at that point, no, I obviously didn't. But I think God began speaking to me quite early on through, through people, through books, through experiences, and, and it just kept growing. Mm. So you've had the experience of serving as a missionary. You have helped train missionaries. Even now when you're supposed to be retired, you are helping Global Mission in training people for, for mission work. 
when you look at the, the mission challenges that face us today, Pat, what stands up, up uppermost in your mind? You know, challenges. Uh, we we kind of don't any of us like challenges, do we? We, we, we like to be simple. I think that ironically, as I look at mission today, to me, the challenge is, is the same as it's always been. And yet it's different because unfortunately, I think we are still not fully grasping what our mission is. I think we have much too, uh, either too limited uh, a view of what our mission is. And so to me, the challenge for us today is to realize that we really do have a mission. God has, God has entrusted to us the privilege of joining him in mission. And so to see it, how big it is, I think is a challenge to, to, I don't think the average church member, maybe anywhere, but certainly around where I live, really thinks about mission. It's just kind of off the radar. So to me, a big challenge of mission today is just realizing it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's huge. And it's always, God has entrusted us to do our part. I don't know who, who else or what else he's using, but we do know he's given us something to do. And I don't think we, we've really grasped fully the unique challenges that we're facing now as we really look at the whole world and not just the, uh, the Christian world or the Western world or the worlds that we're most comfortable with. And so I think that, that it's a level of difficulty that we probably fully haven't fully grasped even yet. So to me, these are the challenges to understand what the need is, how great it is, and then the, the difficulty that, to do it well. Mm. Those, to me, are the real challenges that we face. You know, when I, when I think about our mission challenge, uh, we used to think in terms of geography, uh, at least yeah. we tended to think in terms of geography, in terms of an unreached geographical area. But in more recent years, we've, we've reshaped that thinking. Describe to me what we, what we mean when we're thinking more in terms of people groups. Well, <clears throat> yeah, people groups. Um, do we have a few hours here, Gary? No. Um, <laughs> to, to me, th this is significant. Global mission has, of course, uh, quit looking at things in terms of geography, although geography is a portion of it, but, but more in, in groups of people, affinity groups, groups that, that share the same languages, share the same culture. And there may be many of these people groups in any given country, and reaching one of those people groups does not at all mean that we've reached all the other people groups. And so it makes the task more kind of we can focus it once we know how many they are, but it makes it much bigger. You know, there was a time when, well, if we just plant a church in, in, in this country, you know, that we've done it. But now we realize that, that countries is not the issue. It's these, these individual groups that, that will not necessarily be reached in the same way that other groups will be reached because of the language differences and the cultural differences and their belief system differences. And so to me, this is, this is a huge difference uh, that, that we maybe we've grappled with a lot in the 20 or 30, most recent 20 or 30 years, but I think we still have a ways to go to really grasp that, uh, at least for the average church member to grasp that it isn't just uh, we have a church in country A, therefore, we can move on to country B. Even in country A, we've got to keep saying, are there other people groups groups that we haven't reached? So, you know, it makes me, as you're talking, it makes me think about 
the topic of mission strategy and having having a strategy for our mission. Um, and I'm sure that since the earliest days of the Adventist Church, there has been some sort of strategy or varying strategies. You know, we want to place a missionary in India, we want to place a missionary here. But as I read some of those early stories, it's almost like a lot of mission happened accidentally. You know, we people would get on a boat and we really didn't know what they were going to do when they what do you think about when you think about mission strategy? Well, it's one of those good news, bad news things. I think uh, obviously there is strategy suggests planning and, and an overall picture of something. And that's, that, that's valuable. We do need that. Although uh, we all know if we're really honest and, and we look deeply in our own experiences and, and others, that mission is really the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's asked us to, to to be a part of it, but it's really the Holy Spirit. And that's why it becomes serendipitous. It isn't, we have a strategy to do this, and then boom, suddenly it goes off somewhere else. And we don't, it's like, well, how did that happen? Well, it happened because we can lay some plans, and we should. We can have some ideas of how to be more efficient, more effective. But ultimately, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is going to be the, the, uh, the one that makes it work or that takes it way beyond anything our, our dream, our vision is often too small. And so uh, you need strategy. I think we have to have planning and, and thinking about how to do it better. But I think it needs to be done fairly humbly, knowing that ultimately, if if God is in it, the Holy Spirit will do do with it something way, often way different from, from what we thought or what we planned. So, yeah, I mean, I think the strategy of looking now at people groups, as we do in Global Mission, as opposed to the old thing of countries. That's a, a strategic thinking. But ultimately, even with this, it's really the Holy Spirit that takes our plans or our strategies and, and does something with them. Yeah. So, Pat, you served for some time as director of the Institute of World Mission and you were training missionaries. To what extent in that training did you teach them to think strategically, to, to make plans. Uh, what, what were the key lessons you wanted them to learn through that training process? Now, if I can remember them all here, I didn't write <laughs> them down, but, uh, you know, it, we kind of divided our thinking into five categories that a missionary needs to be able to think biblically. If they're not rooted in, in biblical thinking, that's they're not going to be successful. They need to reason missiologically, which is, is one of the harder ones because it doesn't come naturally to us. We're all fairly ethno ethnocentric and, and our way is the right way. So to, to reason things through, to think, uh, to reason missiologically. To live incarnationally is another hard one. Uh, to, to live close to the people, as much like the people as, as we can. And, and uh, to do it with grace and, uh, and joy. Uh, now <laughs> I've lost my track that this. Well, that's a pretty good start. Yeah, th those three, um, uh, maybe it'll come to me. Uh, oh, I've got it written down here. Somebody else wrote it down for me. Um, living holistically. Oh, good we are people that understand health. And so, so both in missionaries' lives and in what they're presenting, it needs to be a holistic gospel, not something very narrow. And then the last one is constantly growing spiritually. So, so to me, this is, is the foundation for mission, for missionaries, what they live, what they do, and, and then what they share. So, so um, to the extent that you can make any significant difference in, in someone's outlook and worldview in three weeks, that's kind of the, 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 area that, the areas that we focus on. You know, 
I was looking at the story of Georgia Burris, the, the, the young woman missionary who went to India in the late 1800s. And I was reading there that before she went, she did a 12-month course at Battle Creek training, preparing her for mission. Mm-hmm. So I had laboured under the illusion that missionary training was relatively new, but this has been part of our, our church for a while. Yeah, I, I think that it, it was maybe a little sporadic, depending on, on the situation. I, I know, I think it's in Life Sketches that Ellen White says, young men and women should be learning, learning languages so they can be missionaries. Well, this is a form of training. Right. You know? uh, and so that, that it, it has been, I think, uh, always an understanding that, that we need to know things we don't know. It hasn't always been done in a very organized fashion. And some right. people got a lot and some people got none. But uh, yeah, uh, I, and I think that's a strategy too. I think that's one of the strategies of the church. If we prepare missionaries better to give them a better sense of, of who they are and of what they can do and of what they should and things they should and shouldn't do, perhaps, um, that's a strategic decision that I hope will facilitate better missionaries, better success in mission. Pat, when you, when you went out, for mission service. Did you receive training before you went? No. So you learned on the job? Yeah, oh, definitely on the job training. And, and you know, it, it's uh, depending on, of course, what some people um, are in situations where they learn maybe faster. I was in a very sheltered situation initially in Singapore, surrounded by lots of other missionaries. So uh, so my training during my those first six years when I was in Singapore was pretty much serendipitous it was kind of kind of like, like wow you go up into a high-rise apartment and you're handing out you know voice of prophecy cards and every other person is a different religion a different culture and it's kind of like hmm, i wonder how relevant this is and so it was a very gradual almost almost accidental i'm sure the lord was nudging me but but uh, yeah no training mm-hmm. on the job so you've been involved in both sides of it, training, being involved yourself. Um, is it possible for us to even start to define what a successful missionary is? Uh, how, how, how can, if, it, if it's the work of the Holy Spirit in which we're participating, can we really talk in any, in any real sense of a successful missionary or an unsuccessful missionary? That is an excellent question, and I think you pretty much nailed it. I don't think we can decide who's successful and who isn't. Uh, I think there's stories from our past of people that left mission or left evangelism in despair because they'd had no success, and then, but from one person that they did have success with, amazing things have happened. So I, I don't think we can, can really label or limit success to any things. I think from the very human standpoint, to me, thinking of the missionaries we trained, I think helping them to adjust better and make fewer, shall we say, mistakes, the t- typical things that, that foreigners happen to do when they're in somebody else's culture, is means that they will be more likely to be able to be su- successful at at hanging in and doing well and not offending and and being able to be used by the Holy Spirit. And we often don't know when the Holy Spirit is using us. And that's why it's so dangerous when we when we do really stupid, hurtful things accidentally. 
and and it makes it hard for the Holy Spirit to work through us if if we're giving a really bad pic, uh, picture of God in their mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, so so I do think that that it can improve the chances for people to be able to be more effective uh, witnesses to to our wonderful God. Uh, but they may or may not have baptisms. I remember student mis- a student missionary who said, I thought I'd have people baptized after my year here and not nobody was. So that was her v- vision of success. Um, so I, I don't think we can nail it down to, to that kind of things. So I think it's more, it's just if we can endure to the end, <laughs> hang in there and uh, hopefully reflect God to the people around us. Mm, I like that. So, when you look at your own growth and your own understanding of mission, are there any moments, are there any experiences or stories where it was kind of like an aha moment where you experienced something and you learned, you grew through that? Yeah, like pretty much every day. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for me, I, 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 um, it, it was, I thought I knew what it was to be a missionary because of all those books I read. And so I thought I, I really had something to offer, and I studied, uh, I took a, you know, as a teacher, and I'd taken a religion minor, so I thought I kind of had things. And so to come face-to-face to the fact that, number one, I couldn't even talk to these people, and after I learned the language, I couldn't always talk intelligently to the people, and it was kind of like, well, what can I do? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I had to reevaluate on a pretty much regular basis of what it was that I was really about. And then there were some more specific things when I actually uh, was faced with the challenge of trying to to talk to people who knew zero, knew nothing about the Bible or God or anything, and realizing that I didn't have the vocabulary, I didn't have the tools, I had absolutely no way of knowing how to do this. And I just realized how inadequately prepared I was. And the sad thing is that, at least at that time, there really wasn't anybody (laughs) that seemed to know any more than I did. And... uh, so that was really an aha moment of I, I've I've got to start over somehow, and I didn't know where to go or what to do, and that began me on a, a many year search to figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing, and then how to do it. Um, you know, uh, I, looking back now, um, I realized that that for me the understanding of what I was supposed to do and what I now think I really was supposed to do were pretty far apart, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was a journey to realize that that. A lot of the things we were doing were not really helping people grow to be vibrant Christians. And and how can we avoid getting people to join us for various reasons, but not really being vibrant followers of God? So I learned a lot. Um, there were a lot of things I wish I had done differently. I wish I, I knew. But to me, looking back, what I I thought my job, and this is this is not heresy. It's 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 how I feel, and I'm still very strong in, in everything I believe. But my initial goal really should not be to try to make them Adventists. I do not go to a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim country to make people Adventists. My goal initially must be to preach the first angel's message, which is to introduce them to the God of creation, the God Jesus, the God Man. And, and to help them come to know him and worship him and love him and want to follow him and serve him. Once people have reached that point, then you can go ahead and make Adventists out of them. But they try to make Adventists out of someone who don't really know who God is. And they don't. You know, when, when I think of the, what, seven and a half, eight billion people in the earth, how many of those people 
really have a, a clear, beautiful picture of God. Mm. And so the foundation, and that's why Jesus, Jesus walked around showing people what God was like, which is why he healed people and helped people and he forgave people and he loved people. And he, 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 he ate with all the disreputable people around because he was just showing them that's what God would do if he were here. Can you love a God like that? And when people realized, and of course he got killed because his view of God was not the same as the, the ruling uh, uh, idea of, of God in, in that time. But, and so he was killed for it, but, but that was what he came to do. And so as I look back now, I just wish I had better understood how Jesus worked, mm. why he did what he did, that that is really our goal, especially among non-Christian people or people that have no picture of God. We just have to help them get to know him and love him. And uh, he's revealed himself, of course, you know, through the hundreds and hundreds of, of stories in the Bible of how he dealt with people. You know, if people can get a picture of God, uh, then you can add all kinds of other things and show that out of his love, he wants us to, 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 to be free from fear. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to uh, be ready for him to come. All of these things are important things. But they all have built on a foundation of, of this, of the first angel's message, the mm. simple message of, of fear God and, and worship him, give him glory. He's the creator and he has so much to offer. So, so when I look back, I just wish I'd understood that and mm. I'd understood the, the methods of Jesus and the message of Jesus, um, which I afraid too often I neglected. Mm. That's fascinating, Pat. Uh, and I think each of us can look back at our own experience and see things that we wish we'd shaped a little differently in the way that we approach things. So f drawing from your experience, um, any lesson, any other lessons that you've learned, any, anything that you think might be helpful to other people who might be thinking through these things about how to do our mission more effectively? You know, it's, it, it's simple. I really think this the more simple jesus had such a simple message and such a simple way of working you know he helped people he told stories he 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 was countercultural in the way he represented god and so to me when we when we get too reliant upon all kinds of other things whether it's media or or even materials they're all good and they're all can be a value but for the for that seven and a half to eight billion people in the world, you know, you've got the Muslim world and the Chinese world and the Hindu world. And then that's, you know, what, 60% of the world's population. And what they just need is the simple method. And so this is simplicity. The more simple we are, it not only is, is, is the message, but it's easier for people to grasp. Sometimes we come with such complexity in whether it's theology or whether it's the way we teach people to read the Bible, where it's so complex that it, it intimidates people. So simplicity of our methods, simplicity of our message, and then humility. Uh, I learned so much, and I didn't know I needed to learn anything. But from my Buddhist friends, from the people of Thailand and Singapore, I learned so much. And so to come with humility and simplicity, and uh, and I think help people to learn to trust, to trust God, prayer, and, and the power that I don't think we appreciate the power of the Bible. You know, uh, I often tell the pioneers that when we plant these Bible stories in people's minds, which they'll remember because they're stories, that the Holy Spirit then can use that story long after we're gone. 
And that story can keep speaking to them because I truly believe that in the power of the word, that it is a living, growing thing. And when it's planted in people's hearts, it can be transformative. And so it's people need to really get to know the word, not just the uh, cherry picking verses and texts in here that prove a point or prove what, but really know the word. Uh, to me, that's, that's, that's so foundational. So humility, simplicity, trusting the word and trusting the Holy Spirit and prayer. Beautiful. <laughs> Pat, thanks so much for sharing your experience with us today. It's been a blessing. Thanks for having me, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Pat. What a great way for us to be finishing the year 2021, friends. To conclude this phase of the IWM podcast as a project, I would like to say a prayer for you as an Adventist missionary and for you as a mission enthusiast. Dear Lord, we praise your name. You found us in this world, invested so much attention and care to grow us to be your disciples. Moreover, you called each of us in a very personal way. You spoke to our hearts and invited us to be your ambassadors, missionaries, going even to the ends of the world. We thank you for the privilege, and we trust our lives, our futures, and this new year into your caring and loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this moment, friends, I usually say that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you next Friday. Well, not this time, but you will hear from us as we make our research. Your input will be very valuable. My name is Alex Ott, and until next time.